0: You know, it's one thing to be told by the school at a meeting or being told orally, oh, yeah, no, we can't provide that service. Oh, no, we can't do that. Like I said, saying no is easy. Even at an IEP meeting, they'll say, no, we can't do that. But if you ask for prior written notice, it's a formal thing. They have to put in writing that they're denying your request and exactly why. That's a lot harder for them to do.
1: I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine year old daughter with dyslexia who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. All right, we have Sabrina back with us to talk all about IEPs. And so we are in part two of the IEP boot camp. And we're going to talk a little bit about the anatomy of an IEP today. But we decided to pivot a little bit and give you some very tangible strategies to walk away with some action plans for you. So we've decided today to talk to you all about IEP goal writing. And in fact, Sabrina's put together a little workshop for you today, all about IEP goal writing. So we're going to jump right in. Sabrina, thanks so much for being back on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me back. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Well, I am just excited as usual <laughs> to have you on the show, but I'm just, uh, you know, honored that you're here with us again, and I, I look forward to us talking more about IEPs, and 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 you know, we talked a little bit off air, goal writing is so essential as the, the pieces yes. of the IEP, and if someone's new to special education with dyslexia, or if someone's, you know, been going to the table for an IEP and just going through the motions Goal writing is so essential for everyone. So I'm, I'm so delighted that you thought through that and, and created a little mini workshop for us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Let's start off by talking about some strategy tips.
0: So I just put together a couple of strategy tips that, you know, sometimes you, uh, you forget about because they're kind of obvious frankly. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to remind everybody, uh, make sure that you request the evaluations that you're going to go over at the IEP meeting, um, request those 48 hours in advance so that you have a chance to review. Um, it's really important that parents have the opportunity to review the proposed goals, the evaluations, make notations, um, uh, come up with questions. It makes the meetings go more efficiently and that way you're not caught unaware. So really uh, put that in writing and request that the evaluations and the draft IEP or the proposed goals be sent to you 48 hours in advance. Um, Then once you get those, uh, review those goals, write down any questions you have. Um, Again, as you're going through the goals, make sure they make sense to you if you don't understand it, you don't want to sign anything. I mean, mark, mark on, on the IEP some questions that you have so that it makes sense to you what your child is receiving. Um,
1: and, and then make sure for a second, I was just sure. gonna say too, that's so important because, you know, especially coming from an education background, you know, we're so sure. used to that, right? Like every day we have, you know, especially for teachers that are, in special education, delivering services, they're so used to that being a, you know, just a part of their process. Just like maybe we check our emails, like it's just so second nature to them. Exactly. But if it's not to us, how can we, how can we as a parent monitor if we don't even understand what's written? So I love that piece of that advice as well.
0: Yeah. And and here's a little attorney tip. Don't ever sign anything that doesn't make sense to you. So that's why you really need to understand what's going on. Um, the other thing to look for is to make sure that all the proposed goals address every single area of need. Sometimes things get overlooked. So really pay attention to what areas of need your child has and make sure that there is a goal to address each one. Um, If you don't see a goal on there, go ahead and draft additional goals that you think should be included in the IEP. Um, There's no limit to the number of goals that you can write. So if you don't see something that's being proposed, go ahead and draft it. And, you know, that way you can bring it up at the meeting. Um, As far as, you know, other tips, I would say make it a practice to record every meeting. Uh, I just, sometimes you don't remember what was said at the meeting and it gives you that reference point to go back after the fact and listen, just to make sure that you understand everything. So I like to always advise my clients record every single meeting. Um, and then finally, of course, don't sign anything. (laughs) Don't sign anything other than the attendance sheet at the meeting, And, and I don't say that because I think the school is trying to pull the wool over your eyes at all. I say that because again, you may need that time to go back and revisit the recording. Um, Just look over things, maybe let things settle for a day or two and then revisit it. Make sure everything fully makes sense that everything was covered. All your concerns were addressed and then go ahead and sign if, if that's fine. If, if you don't, Feel like everything was addressed, you know, you can reach out to the school and ask for an additional meeting, ask for clarification. Um, You don't have to sign right away. And I actually recommend that people don't sign right away Mm -hmm. just to give it some time to settle.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's some more advice. I like that as well. That is good because I think some, you know, I was reading somewhere earlier today how, you know, you get into the IEP meeting and it's just jumping straight to the meat of things and jumping over things. And for parents, exactly. you know, this is what we're going to do, but you're not fully understanding what, you know, especially in an initial meeting where you're trying to figure out what's going on with your child. And then you're trying to understand what are the needs, how can the school address them? And so it's fine to take your time and just to, to slow the meeting down and to ask questions along the way. I think that's important too, to, I know there's a lot of people around the table and you feel outnumbered many times at an IEP meeting because because the school will bring everyone to the table who needs to be involved so that all the educators can be there to provide input, but also hear what the needs are so they can help address that. And that can feel a little, you know, at the table, you can feel a little bit outnumbered, so to speak. And so, I just want to encourage people to absolutely, you know, take a breath if you need to. It's fine to ask questions. We want you to ask questions. And so, you know, your job is to listen and to understand and to ask questions. And and I know sometimes it's hard to to not feel intimidated, but you're there as your child's advocate and not in like the legal sense, even though that's fine too, but really as in, you know, your child best, you know, where you're seeing those struggles, you're listening to what the school is seeing as struggles. And then you're on the team together. Exactly. As a partnership, trying to figure out how to best address those needs. And, and I think that's a, a good piece too, to think about, you know, when, when you go to the meeting that you really want to start off. And we talked about this, I think a little bit in part one is that partnership until it's at a point where it can't be, but really the, hopefully everybody at the table wants what's best for your child. So yes, I think if everybody goes in with that kind of mindset, then it really does help have a productive meeting.
0: Yeah, and I'll add, you know, don't feel rushed. Sometimes people, they schedule these IEP meetings, you know, an hour at a time. Mm -hmm. If you don't finish, if you don't have all of your questions answered and you don't feel good about, you know, being heard or that you've covered everything and the end of that hour comes, it's okay to, you know, ask for another session. The meeting's not over until you have all of your concerns and your questions answered. So, you know, it's okay. If it doesn't finish in an hour, that's fine. Don't feel rushed into anything. Um, you can continue the meeting at
1: another time. Right, exactly. So let's, let's jump into the goal writing piece because that's just so, so essential to this whole process is making sure that we have the right goals written and we have the right pieces that are identified as the needs you know, matching those goals. And so when you think about goal setting and you think about services, what is one of the first things that you would tell parents to do? What do they need to be identifying before they even are thinking about goals?
0: Well, there's a common saying in special education that needs drive goals and goals drive services. So you have to be absolutely clear as to what your child's needs are. Um, You need to identify those uh, from your own observations from teacher observations through the psychoeducational evaluation that was done. Uh, You get to put in your input, the school and the rest of the IEP team, they put in their input. And from that, you can identify what does my child need? And like I said before, make sure that each need has at least one goal that addresses it.
1: Right. And one of the things too, I know that we talked about a little bit as well, and, and it's pretty common knowledge for anyone that's ever even written personal goals is what people call SMART goals. And if, if there's ever a time to use what's called a SMART goal, it is definitely in the IEP process. And yes. as you think about what those needs are and matching those with a goal, at least one goal, you know, I've seen a lot of goals over the years when working as a school counselor, and some of them were so broad that I was like, how would we ever even be able to It's so subjective, right? And so I think it's so important, you know, that, that smart goals piece. So can we, for those that may not be familiar with smart goals, can we kind of walk through what that stands for and give them just a little bit of an example of those before we get into the actual goal writing pieces? Because I want them to be thinking about What is a SMART goal? What should I be looking for as I'm looking, like you said, when they get the draft IEP or they get the draft information and they're looking over, you know, here are some proposed thoughts from the school or when they take that IEP home to look it over, do I see things that are measurable? You know, what are the things I'm looking for? So I think that's an important place for us to start.
0: Sure. So uh, SMART is an acronym. Uh, It stands for Specific Measurable attainable slash appropriately ambitious, uh, results-oriented, and time-bound. So those are, the, those are the things that you need to be looking for as you're looking at the goals. Um, so first of all, with specific, the goals need to have sufficient detail to know exactly what the goal states. Um, It should target areas of academic achievement or functional performance, whatever your your child's needs are. But overall, the bottom line is, what specific skill do you want to improve? Um, You want to keep it very specific. You don't want a vague goal because then that becomes very difficult to measure. (laughs) Now, the M is for measurable. And that's probably one of the most important parts. A goal must have an objective, not a subjective way to measure whether the child is meeting the goal or not. So ask yourself, can you observe or count it to know whether your child has met that goal? Uh, When a teacher says a student is making progress, that's the teacher's opinion based on subjective observations, and it may or may not be accurate. Uh, Grades are also not objective assessments of progress. Uh, There's a lot that goes into grades, including the student's effort, the teacher's subjective beliefs, student's attitude, grade inflation. Um, That does actually happen. (laughs) So you you really want to be able to point to something that you can look at you can feel it you can count it and it's very it's not ambiguous in any way so that that's probably the most important part i think uh, i was thinking too goals.
1: i was thinking too when you're talking about goals i mean grades and measurable you know i've seen even in some time, some instances where part of a grade might even be a participation Exactly. It can just be made, you know, if you look at a syllabus, it can be made up of, and it will be made up of different sections when you think about grades. Some of it might be homework. So it it does does look a lot of different ways, even in different classes. So I think that's something to keep in mind.
0: Yes. And grades are pretty broad. Um, If you're looking at your language arts grade, there's a lot that goes into that um whereas with goals again being specific you're looking to pinpoint a very very specific skill set and so the grade isn't an accurate measure of that particular skill set
1: and if they're making progress on that skill set yes right? yeah exactly. yes which is the whole point of the goals <laughs> yeah some progress <laughs> it,
0: yes progress is important <laughs> um so the a is for attainable Uh, You want the goals to be attainable, obviously. You don't want to set up your child for failure. But at the same time, you want that goal to be appropriately ambitious. Uh, A lot of times school districts will draft goals that are pretty easy for students to attain, and um, that shows that the services are working. However, if it's not appropriately ambitious enough, how are you going to get your child caught up? That's usually, you know, where we are <laughs> with dyslexia. You know, for example, you have a second grader who's reading at a kindergarten level. And, you know, if the goal is to get them to progress one grade level, well, by the next year, they're still two grade levels behind. So that's that wouldn't be an appropriately ambitious goal. Uh, so you don't want goals that are so easy to attain um, that they are basically meaningless. And the the goal should be results-oriented. The desired result should be clearly stated and directly address your child's unique needs. What is it specifically that you want them to be able to do? And then finally, it should be time-bound. The the goal should have a date to achieve that goal. Uh, You should have a long-term goal, which is an annual goal, typically. And then typically, you also have short-term goals. And short-term goals are important because it's a way of measuring progress toward the long-term goals. Um, It's, you know, that way you don't have to wait an entire year to see if your child is making progress. You want to be checking it in uh, at least, you know, quarterly, just to make sure that they're kind of on track. And that way, if they're way off base, if they're not on track to meet their short-term goals, maybe that's a time that you can kind of course correct to see what could be improved so that they are meeting their goals.
1: Great. That's perfect. Thank you for running through SMART goals. I think that'll be helpful for people. And I'll I'll also for those of you that are listening, I'll include, you know, some of this information as well in the show notes. So if you're driving or running or whatever you're doing, and I know you probably want to be taking some notes, but I will spell out the SMART goals and and give you some examples of you know, those as well. So that will help, um, you know, those that are are listening and, and not able to take notes right now. So as we move into, you know, we talked about SMART goals. And so that's so important to know what kind of goals should I be thinking about we should be writing as a team. But we talked about a few minutes ago about really the needs driving the goals and so when you think about the needs, we have to talk about, I think what's referred to anyway, is the present levels of performance. So can we talk a little bit about that before we get into some examples of actually drafting some goals?
0: Yeah, sure. So it's really important to understand that you cannot begin to draft goals until you know exactly what your child can do right now. Uh, You have to know the present levels of performance. And the present levels should be just as specific as the goals um, and directly related to them. So present levels of performance describe what your child can do right now. It is a baseline. It should be based on objective data that shows what your child knows. And it must be accurate and it must be current Uh, Oddly enough, I've seen several present levels that are based on information from two or three years ago. So they need to be current and they just really focus on them being specific. They need to address a particular thing. Otherwise you really can't draft a goal.
1: Right, because you're you're not able to determine where where your child is currently. Yes, to determine what are those needs to know what those services are. So that makes perfect sense. And so exactly. some of those as well, you would recommend those be based on some type of academic testing or evaluations or something that are more um, valid and standardized. Or or, or yeah. when you think about those pieces,
0: yeah, I, I they need to be objectively verified Mm -hmm. Um, it's not it's not good enough really to even say oh my child reads at a first grade level Mm -hmm. well what 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 does that mean there's a lot that goes into that Mm -hmm. um you know it should be very very specific
1: necessarily teacher tests we're talking more about lexile scores or end of the year testing or third year benchmark testing for third grade things like that
0: yes yeah Standardized tests, or in the case of an initial IEP, the right. actual evaluation results mm-hmm. themselves—they um, should be able to tell you. If you're going to have a spelling goal, they should be able to tell you exactly what your child can spell right now, at what level, which you know, which words, you know, things like that. And so mm-hmm. that's where you want to base your goals on. You need to have the baseline for that.
1: So we're looking at things that are reliable
0: and and valid. Right. Something, again, that is tangible, something that can be counted. Mm -hmm. And ideally at the meeting, uh, you'd be able to see it like the teacher Mm -hmm. or, you know, the resource teacher would be able to pull up a list of the words with the markings on it so that you can see exactly which ones your child knows and
1: which ones they don't. Right. Absolutely. All right, well, let's jump into actually, I believe you have got some things prepared for us today as far as giving some examples and explanations and kind of walking through an example of what a goal could look like and helping us to identify, is it a SMART goal and what can we do to make it a better goal?
0: Sure, Yeah. So, it's really easy to sit here and say, oh, you should draft smart goals. But what does that look like in the real world? Um, You know, especially when emotions are high, you know, you're frustrated, you're stressed, you know, what what does it look like? So, I just wanted to give some examples. So, if we take the example uh, draft goal here, student will decode unfamiliar words with 80% accuracy using teacher prompts as measured by teacher observation. And we assume here that the baseline is 40%. Now, what is wrong with this goal? I mean, it it sounds to the, you know, most parents, oh, okay, well, we're gonna decode unfamiliar words, you know, higher than we are now. Okay, great. But what's wrong with this goal? I think
1: something that jumps out to me too is that it's teacher observation. Yes. So how is she so, how is she coming up with that? How were she uh, writing down her data points, things like that? Sure, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So what I think is wrong here with this goal is one, it's not specific. We're talking about decoding unfamiliar words. Well, what words are those? How many of them? What grade level are we talking about? Um, it's also not measurable because who determines what unfamiliar words are? Uh, How many times does the student need to perform this task with 80% accuracy? Um, The other problem with it, as you pointed out, is teacher observation isn't measurable by itself and it is therefore inherently subjective. So sometimes you may see uh, measured through formal or informal assessments as the measure of the goal. But again, what does that mean? What is an informal assessment? So you need to specify the words and it is best to attach the words to the IEP. So everyone's on the same page. That's what I like to do.
1: I was just um, about to ask you that. Cause I was thinking if they said verbally, well, this is how we're going to test. You want that actually written in that legal document. So there's no confusion in the future as to what we agreed to, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, what words, what are we talking about here specifically? Um, and The other problem with this goal is I don't know that it's attainable or appropriately ambitious because we don't really know what this goal is measuring because it's so vague. We don't know if that's appropriately ambitious or if it's even attainable. Um, The other thing that stood out to me with this one is the inclusion of teacher prompts. To me, that is problematic because what does that mean? Does that mean that the teacher prompts the student with the answer? It, it could. You know, right. we don't know what that means. So if you're going to include a prompt, I think you need to be very, very clear as to what that means or take it out. Because the ultimate goal would be that your child can perform this task independently, right? Right. Again, you know, this goal, it's not particularly results oriented because we don't really know what we're even measuring. And it is not time bound. You know, when will the student need to achieve this goal? I think it's implied that it would be by the next uh, annual IEP meeting, but we really don't know. So that needs to be specified. Mm -hmm. So if you want, I mean, we can go through um, how I would correct this.
1: Yeah, I think that would be great because so, I'm I'm right there with you looking at this. It'll be m- probably more familiar to people once they're able to see the show notes to sure. see those words. But I think just listening to is so helpful because just thinking through, you know, even when you were talking about unfamiliar words, you know, the thing that I thought about too was that it doesn't even say 20 unfamiliar words. I mean, like there's no number that's even attached to that. So I think it would be great if you, you know, can go through some examples there of these are the, the, if I were working with you, this is how I would correct this, or this is how I would advise you to, to go in and ask for these pieces so that they are now actual smart goals. So that would be great. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So if I were going to redraft this goal, um, I would have it read by February 2021 or the next annual review date student will independently read at least 33 out of 41 dolch third grade sight words in two of three consecutive trials as measured by teacher charted data and uh, we would want to include here again you can't write a goal without a proper baseline right we would want to know that currently the student can independently read for example, 16 out of the 41 Dolch third grade sight words.
1: And before you move on, can I just point out too, something that I think is important for people to know. I love the 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 baseline is so specific because the 16 out of 41, you know, we're talking about an annual review, but like you were saying, even quarterly, you know, if at the yes. next quarter you only had 17, then, you know... The, What do we do? Do We need to do something different, or sit for another quarter. So I think that, in and of itself, is also very helpful because you can see we've got a a goal of thirty-three. We're at sixteen. You know, we're in the middle of the year. We're, you know, one quarter left. Like how how is the progression looking as far as meeting that goal? And you can't do that with the previous goal, but you can do that with this one. Yeah,
0: exactly. And there's no ambiguity. We know that the child can read sixteen and we know exactly what we're measuring and we wanna get them to 33 at least. And that's something that can be verified. You can look at the teacher charted data. You can see the list, what they got right, what they got wrong. You can see all of that. So it it is really specific. Um, We want the child to independently read a certain number of words off of a very specific word list. So that, you know, it's super specific um, it is measurable because we know the student will independently read a certain number of words and how the data will be recorded. Um, we can also see the list and the teacher's notations. Um, it does not include teacher prompts because I'm not a fan of that, but you know, it, it makes it for a more accurate and specific goal. You're dealing with a finite number of words. The student is currently at 40% accuracy if you do the math. And we wanna get them to at least 80% accuracy. But rather than using percentages, we're being very, very specific by saying a certain number of words. Um, It is results oriented because we know exactly what results we're looking for. We wanna see at least 33 of the 41 Dolch words. There is no ambiguity here. Um, It is time bound. We now have an end date by which we wanna see the student achieve the goal And we've also revised the baseline to make more sense. Uh, We can only rewrite this goal because we have this baseline. So that's another thing to watch for when you're looking at goals. The baseline may be, you know, the kid can only read unfamiliar words with 40% accuracy. Well, but that's not a good enough baseline for this goal. So you may actually need somebody to go back and reevaluate the child to see how many of these third grade Dolch sight words they can read so that you have an accurate baseline from which to craft the goal.
1: Um, that makes perfect sense, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, once you have your annual goal drafted, then you can start breaking it down into Mm -hmm. quarterly goals or other short-term goals. So you know that your child is making progress. So if you're starting at 16, you know, the first quarter goal might be 25 of those 41 words. And then quarter two is going to be, you know, 30 or, you know, however you want to divide it up based on what's going on with your school and where you are in, in the academic year. But, if you don't have an accurate long-term goal, then you really can't break it down into measurable short-term goals.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now, when we think about, you know, those goals being just so specific to where we want to see, you know, where we want that end result to be in a year, and as we want to see continued progress toward, you know, those reading goals, where does And we didn't talk about this prior to this, but where does the whole remediation piece fit in? Are those going to fit in more of the services pieces that go along with the goals as far as, um, you know, how it's delivered or, you know, how many sessions a week I get in addition to the regular class? What are some pieces there you recommend for parents as they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I go about getting this, the services I need to make sure the goals are met? Does that make sense? Sure. Especially yeah. as it relates to dyslexic kids.
0: Yeah. So we've gone over needs drive goals. Goals drive services. So once you have pinpointed your child's weaknesses, the things that they need to work on, and you have goals now that are appropriately ambitious and, and properly crafted, Then the next step is, okay, well, how are they going to achieve those goals? What are we going to do so that those goals will be met? And that is services. So this is another reason why you need to have goals that are very specific and appropriately ambitious because you don't want to just keep getting passed from grade to grade to grade and with really not catching up. Uh, you know, I gave the example before about reading at kindergarten level, but being in the second grade, you don't want to just make one year's progress because then in third grade, you're still two grade levels behind. Right. So once you have a good goal graph, you know, drafted, um, that's where you start talking about services. And the more ambitious, the goal, the more services you're probably going to need. You know, if you're going to go from, say a baseline, I'll just say 10% for a particular goal, and you want to get to 80, you're going to need, you know, a significant amount of services to get you there. So, um, really once you have the goals drafted, that's where you come in and start negotiating about services to address those very specific goals, the very specific needs that your child has. And it's not a one-stop shop just because, (laughs) the school offers you 30 minutes, two times a week of, you know, resource time that may not be appropriate for your child's needs. You have to make sure that that amount of service is actually going to help them reach their goals and don't think of it as a take it or leave it. It's what the school is offering to you is a jumping off point for negotiation. It's a first offer. So consider it. It may, it may be perfectly fine. It may not be. But don't feel intimidated or afraid to come back and say, I don't know if that's enough. I think we need to see 30 minutes four times a week. It's okay to ask for that. And it is a discussion between you and the rest of the IEP team. It's not a take it or leave it. So please always keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, right. And I think too, when we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, w- when you're thinking about those pieces, especially the services, one is I think about the severity of your child's dyslexia, you know, and you'll get that exactly. from your evaluation, you know, how severe mm-hmm. is it as to what, what is the, what is, what is the psychoeducational or what is the private evaluation, you know, saying your child needs to be able to catch up. So you're not constantly behind, but you're actually trying to close that gap. And yes. I know we talked about this in part one, you know, (laughs) we're not in this to, you know, to, 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 to try to push you one direction or the other, but we're in this to make sure that you're educated. But also I think that's why it's so important to reach out to an advocate, especially an advocate that might be familiar with your district and what is available and, and just familiar with dyslexia in general, because, you know, you may walk into that meeting and it sounds fine, but if you had consulted with a, a, an advocate, even if you went on your own, if you'd consulted with an advocate, they could have said, you know what, once a week is not going to be enough. You're not going to mm-hmm. make enough progress for your child. You're going to need with your child's severity level, probably at least three or four times a week at X amount of times a setting. Well, if you're new to dyslexia, you might not know that that's what your child needs. And so you may, I think you talk, you kind of tongue in cheek laughed about this in the first one, as far as your IUP experience. But if you don't know, then you don't know the right questions to ask. So I do think it's important to be thinking about what is your level of competence? How comfortable do you feel? You know, your child is struggling but do you really know all of the services that are available? And sure, someone in a Facebook group can give you their you know, mom opinion, but if you talk to someone exactly. that can say, okay, but this is what you need to say to them. And it is perfectly reasonable for you to ask for four times a week and the district to have that conversation. And so I just don't want, I, I appreciate you saying that because I don't want people to say, oh, well, this is what's written down. So this is what they're offering. And I, I guess I'll accept it or I'll have to get private tutoring. Yeah, you may have to, but that's not where you should just give up and stop. You know, if you need to push a little harder or to come back and and have another conversation or just to go home and sleep on it, like you said earlier, that's perfectly fine. But it's so important that, you know, if you're not educated with all those pieces, you really don't know what is available. Right. And, And you don't know always what's available in your district, and what they are already utilizing you know you could be at one school and a school 10 minutes from your house could be offering something else that your child actually would be better fit they're not going to say hey we'll send you over to so-and-so school but if you know if you can't meet my needs here i'd like to be transferred to to xyz school you know just as an example
0: that's right consulting with somebody ahead of time is worth its weight in gold just to know like you said What services are available? What do you think my child is going to need? If you don't know, you know, how much intervention your child's going to need based on what their needs are or the severity of their dyslexia, you need to talk with somebody who does know because it, it makes the process, again, go so much more efficiently. And you're always better off getting the right goals and the right services from the get-go. Because, you know, with dyslexia, the the earlier the intervention, the, the better it works. So you don't really have time on your side. So it's best right. to get it done right the first time.
1: Absolutely. So having said that, what happens if I'm at the IEP and I, and I don't agree with what the rest of the team is saying? Maybe I don't agree with the goals, and, you know, I'm saying, no, this is this is not a smart goal. This is not measurable. This is just very subjective. And you're just unhappy with the goals that the team has created. Is, is there anything that, that that I can do?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I just want everybody to keep in mind that you as the parent are an equal and very important member of the IEP team, um, just because you may be outnumbered at the table deciding on what's included in your child's IEP is not a majority role, Um, i.e. you cannot be outvoted, okay? So what do you do if you don't like what the school is proposing? So the best thing the parents can do really is to ask clarifying questions. Ask questions about the goals. How will the goal be measured? What does this goal mean? How will I know if my child is making progress? You know, why do you think this goal is appropriate for my child? What does this look like in the classroom? That's a question that I ask a lot at IEP meetings. You know, they they may go through the goal and it's like, okay, well, that sounds great. But what does that look like in the classroom? And, you know, just ask for examples. Ask them to, you know, to explain and keep asking questions until you get all of your questions answered, until you fully understand what the goal is targeted towards, and you understand what's going to happen, what this looks like in practice in the classroom. Um, if the school disagrees with some of the goals that maybe you have proposed, I, again, I would be asking, like, what part of the goal that I wrote do you disagree with? Why? Why is that not appropriate? And, you know, just keep asking those questions. Because Again, as parents, you know, we're not educators, most of us anyway, you know, and there may be a valid reason why the goal that you have crafted isn't appropriate for your child. And so ask for that clarification because then you can get to the the, the reasons behind it and maybe together you can come up with a, a goal that is a better reflection of what your child's true needs are. Um, let's see here.
1: And I think, too, Sabrina, you know, know, I'm sorry to interrupt. You know, sometimes, too, I hear moms say, well, you know, the picture at school sometimes looks different than the picture at home. And maybe also if there's goals that the school's not in agreement with, I think you even said this prior, is that you know, sharing what you see at home. And I think you, if I remember correctly, in the first part, you talked about keeping a journal or a notebook or something to write down some notes because it's very helpful at the meeting. If the teacher thinks the homework should take 15 minutes and you say for the last three weeks, your homework has taken an hour and a half. And the teacher's like, wow, I had no idea. That's some powerful data that you can bring in and share with the team that they don't know unless you share with them. So I think things like that are very powerful as well.
0: Yes, and so you you really should you should share your concerns about the goals as drafted. Uh, bring in your own data to back up your position. Like you just mentioned, you know homework's supposed to take you know fifteen minutes, but your child it takes an hour and a half, and they end in tears, and there's a fight, and you know objects are being thrown across the room. That's not healthy, and that's not good, and that's not something that your teacher can see. So if you keep records of this stuff and bring that with you to the IEP, then you can share that with the rest of the group and they can go, oh my gosh, that's that's awful. Let's come up with a solution to address that. Um, So don't be afraid to share what you see at home. Don't be afraid to share whatever data you have to support your position. Tell the team why you don't think their goal is appropriate or why your version is better. You know, you're not being difficult by doing that. It's a negotiation. It's, It's a discussion. So they tell you what they see at school. You should tell them what you're seeing at home and try to come to a consensus for how to address your child's needs.
1: And so what happens if we can't? What if we just come to an impasse and we just agree to disagree? Is that it? Is that all a a mom can do at that point? Or is there another avenue even after sharing your concerns and your disagreement with the goals?
0: Yeah. So sometimes, unfortunately, you really are truly at an impasse. And what you should do at that point is you should send a confirming letter or email to the IEP team after the meeting and you need to set out your concerns that you raised at the meeting, what your proposed solution was, what the IEP team's response was, and then um, one of the best tools a parent has is to request prior written notice. Now, what prior written notice is, uh, it's covered under the IDEA. Um, If you ask, the school must provide you with written notice setting forth your request. That they are denying your request and why they're denying your request. So, I don't know if if you're all familiar with Wright's Law, Pete Wright. He's a fabulous resource. If you haven't checked out Wright's Law, you should. Um, and Pete Wright always says it's easy saying no, but coming up with reasons why they say no and then documenting it makes it a lot harder for them to say no to what your child needs. So. You know, it's one thing to be told by the school at a meeting or being told orally, oh, yeah, no, we can't provide that service. Oh, no, we can't do that. Um, Like I said, saying no is easy. Even at an IEP meeting, they'll say, no, we can't do that. But if you ask for prior written notice, it's a formal thing. They have to put in writing that they're denying your request and exactly why. That's a lot harder for them to do. and you will either get what you wanted in the first place, or the school will have to explain its denial. And at that point, you have the documentation to use in a due process complaint if you have to, if you have to move forward with that. Um, If the school just ignores your request for prior written notice, that's something that you can file a compliance complaint with your Department of Education. Um, If you're at that point, it's probably a good idea to consult with an advocate or an attorney, (laughs) Uh, to take it further, but at least you are doing your due diligence, papering the file. You have a a written explanation of why the school is denying your request, and then you can take that to an advocate or an attorney, and they can evaluate how how best to proceed.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for that. That's helpful, because I think that, unfortunately, many times, especially with dyslexia, you know, parents are are faced with that dilemma. Let me just say that. (laughs) But, Uh you know, I love how you couched it earlier. I think this is a good way to kind of summarize part two, which is, you know, those needs that your child has are, is going to absolutely drive and should drive the goals that are created by the team. And then those goals that are created that are smart goals are then driving Mm -hmm. the services And I would think as well, the accommodations that need to be put in place. So everything's being driven by those goals and each of the needs that your child has is being addressed and being addressed with a SMART goal. So yes, uh, I think that's a great place for, for, for parents to start and for moms to start, you know, this, this has been great. I love part two. I love talking about goal writing and smart goals. Uh, I could talk about smart goals all day. Actually, I love smart goals, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I'm sure at this point, people are like, wow, that was a lot to take in. Again, we will absolutely include these pieces in the show notes and make sure that that's, you know, easy for you to find. If you're at a point where you're like, you know what, I just need, someone to help kind of walk me through that. You know, we've got some amazing resources uh, at at our website with dyslexia mom life. Sabrina's got excellent resources as well. We will link to both of those. If you need to reach out and and get an advocate, you know, reach out to Sabrina, reach out to me. We both have resources. and, And if you need a referral to someone local, we've got those as well because we want you to make sure that you have what you need and that you feel comfortable and competent and you're ready to go because, those, you know, those IEP pieces are just so important for your child to be successful, to, to be able to thrive with dyslexia and to be able to, to really get, I don't want to say get past because you're never going to get past the dyslexia piece. It's it's just part of who your child is, which is an amazing part of your child, but the whole remediation process and going yes. through that journey is, is going to make progress move a little bit smoother. if you've got those really strong, (laughs) smart goals. So Sabrina, I so appreciate you being here and sharing goal setting. Is there any last bits of advice you have for parents on goal setting before we wrap up part two?
0: I would just go back to ask questions. Questions (laughs) are your very, very, very best tool at an IEP. And just keep asking those questions until you get the answer. So go, don't be afraid to open your mouth and ask questions. There are no dumb questions at an IEP meeting.
1: Absolutely. If you don't know, then ask. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for your time and for putting together this workshop. It's been amazing. And I can't wait to talk in part three. We're going to be talking about types of IEP meetings, the annual IEP meeting. And right now we're going to talk about, you know, in that part three, talking about distance learning and compensatory education as it relates to COVID. So I look forward to getting back with you and sharing some more information in our IEP boot camp. So thank you so much, Sabrina.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Today's show notes can be found at dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 58. Next week, we will be finishing up our three-part series on our IEP bootcamp. And Sabrina and I will be talking about the annual IEP and progress monitoring. We're also going to be spending some time talking about what to do when there's regression and how to go about requesting compensatory education. And these times of COVID, we're also going to talk about some specifics around COVID and how you can get additional resources as well. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the great episodes we have planned for 2021. Have a great week. I will see you here next Monday. And remember, you got this.